Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Good morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Patrick. I'm the pastor here at North Decatur United Methodist Church, and I'm really grateful to be with y'all uh, during this time of worship where we can read scripture and sing songs and um, be attuned to a life of prayer in the presence of God, regardless of where we are and what this last week has looked like. Um, I record my sermons on Wednesdays, uh, so today for me is Wednesday, even though today for me is also Sunday, which is confusing and feels a little bit like time travel as I sort of describe it. But it's important that today is Wednesday because earlier this morning we all woke up to headlines about senseless violence against our Asian sisters. Several spas in Atlanta were attacked and eight people died today because of racism that continues to be a part of our regular life here in America and here in Atlanta. So it's something for us to continue to work through. And it's important to think about it that way because everything that we continue to struggle with here in America is something that the ancestors of our faith struggled with and wrestled through throughout all of the generations leading up to this moment. There have always been questions about how to be good neighbors, how to be decent friends, how to care for even enemies in the midst of difficult seasons. And people of faith have consistently been challenged to be better than the norms of society in which they live. That really is one of the most consistent realities of um, a life of faith. We can see that from the very beginning all the way through uh, to the end of, of, our, of our Bible. And it's important that we read it that way because it really a life of faith is all wrapped up in really wrestling to understand two foundational and almost seemingly opposing realities in our lives. The first is that every person is created with abundance and blessing by God. Every single person is a child of God and a sibling to one another. That is foundationally one of the most important things that we believe. God created all things in the first chapter of Genesis, naming each of them, including humanity, good. And then the stories move from there. The generational experiences move from there. But foundationally, each person is a gifted, beloved child of God. And so some of us struggle to believe that in our own lives. Some of us struggle to believe that we are worth uh, experiencing love. Some of us struggle to believe that people love us because of the ways that society or our family or our friends have interacted with us. And so part of our walk of faith is to be able to acknowledge that I am a beloved child of God. And then rooted in that is also learning to understand that you are a beloved child of God. 
even when uh, our friends and neighbors and family disappoint us and let us down, foundationally it is still true that they are beloved and they are a child and they are worth, worth uh, trusting that God loves them. So that is one foundational reality, that we are created and beloved by the God who creates and continues to sustain all of existence. And I hope you hear that with the weight and the awesomeness that that, that entails. Every living creature is beloved, including you and including whoever that mythical they is in your mind. We are all beloved. That's essential to our walk of faith. And for some of us, that will be our whole life's project, learning how to trust that. The other side of that coin, and why that first affirmation can be so difficult sometimes, is because of the second truth that's a part of our walk of faith. We all miss the mark. We all do. Uh, missing the mark is what the Bible refers to as sin. We all fall short. We all sin according to um, the, the covenantal relationship with God. We all uh, just miss, and, and that's, that's okay. In some ways, that's sort of expected because we live in a complicated society, and it is difficult to love abundantly uh, across all divisions, and so we, we miss the mark of what God calls us to all the time. Sometimes it's because we are pursuing power over others for ourselves. Sometimes it's because um, we just cannot get past that thing that someone did, or sometimes it's because we did something that's so hurtful that it's hard for us to reconcile a relationship, and so we all miss the mark sometimes on that sort of perfect vision of what humanity can be. And so long as we're aiming towards that perfect vision, that's okay. I think that is expected. The problem is that in society, oftentimes, we live intentionally with ignorance and the belovedness of all people. And so sometimes we actively work against the love of God, putting barriers between people and um, starting to dehumanize people, and so we start to effectively strip away the belovedness of our neighbors. And when that happens, it provides opportunities for people like these who killed eight of our neighbors, because we allowed racist jokes to persist, we spoke half-truths. And we never confronted that simple missing of the mark. And so it snowballed into something bigger, into an intentional hatred, and therefore descent, descended into evil. And so that's where we are. We've seen this play out in multiple instances. You know, over the last year, we have been, we have bared witness to systemic racism against our um, black neighbors. We have bared witness to uh, systemic uh, and institutionalized racism within our um, political structures. We have bear wit borne witness to um, simple and subtle acts of um, racism and sexism within our denomination, and we'll continue 
to do that because it's our work to acknowledge the belovedness of all people and to acknowledge our innate capacity to miss the mark, even with the best of intentions. And so learning how to live with those two truths balanced with one another is, um, one, it's really difficult because it feels like they negate one another. Either we're beloved and worth the grace that God pours out or uh, we're not. But that's not the way that God thinks about covenant. That's not the way that God invites us to participate in covenant. The way that God invites us to participate in this long and ongoing relationship is by challenging us to live into a deeper and richer understanding of what it means to love ourselves, love our neighbors, love our enemies, love um, those at the margins of society, and, and uh, to encourage others to do the same, is by also acknowledging that we are fallible. And so God draws us into this complicated relationship where God is constantly pouring out a grace that is unearned for us, while also challenging us to live as more faithful, more righteous, more vulnerable followers who are able to acknowledge our fallibility and our belovedness within the same moment. I know that's really complicated, um, but that's what it is. It is complicated. It's a complicated reality to be both beloved and sinful, to be worthy of God's love not because of the things that we do or our capacity to do the right thing, but simply because of God's love and also being drawn into a deeper relationship. It's hard to navigate those two truths consistently all the time. So what we see in scripture is God meet, meets humanity in each of those crucial moments when humanity could go one way or another. God steps in and offers a new take on a long-standing covenant, right? The first relationship that God established with humanity is embodied in the garden narrative of, with Adam and Eve, the first humans to walk the earth. And that story uh, demonstrates God's absolute and abundant love for these first humans and humanity's capacity to miss the mark. And when they do, they're invited to leave the garden, there are consequences to uh, their pursuit of their own well-being. And so we see humanity grow, we see humanity become abundant, but we see them also become destructive. And so God steps in and creates a new covenant with Noah. And there are no stipulations for Noah, it's simply God saying, through your lineage, the history of humanity will continue. And so God works in their lives for them to experience abundance. And God comes alongside them and promises never to cause destruction ever again. And one of Noah's descendants, God takes that covenant even deeper and comes to Abraham and Sarah and promises them abundance for their own lives and promises to them both that they'll be the ancestors of a great nation who would one day be a blessing to all of the world. And so we see the beginnings of the ancestral Hebrew faith, a people chosen by God to bear God's love into the world. 
And so we see the, that lineage play out, and we see that ancestry play out, and we say that those ancestral stories be described to us until we get to a moment where it would appear that God failed to follow up on God's part of the story. We see the, that chosen people living as slaves in Egypt, and when the people cry out, God fulfills God's half of the covenant, bringing them out of slavery and leading them towards a promised land where they would inherit a kingdom that had been promised to Abraham and promised to each of the descendants of Abraham. And we see that story play out. And eventually they get to that promised land. They establish a kingdom for themselves against God's wishes. But we see them start to build up this new nation. Now, foundationally, as a part of that nation, they were called, they were expected to live into the covenant that had been given to them by Moses. They're meant to follow the Ten Commandments along with the other 600 uh, some odd laws described in Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus. And um, we see instead that kingdom and those leaders of that kingdom begin to pursue their own sense of power, their own sense of um, righteousness. In the same way that Adam and Eve did in the garden, they start pursuing their own sense of right and wrong. So some of those kings and some of those religious leaders start to take on the habits and practices of neighboring nations and they start to worship other gods. And some even start to sacrifice children as a part of a religious ceremony. And so prophets start to show up and they come into Jerusalem, they come into the temple and they speak words of judgment, sometimes outright condemnation for the religious leaders, for the political leaders and for the nation collectively for failing to do, for failing to live into their covenantal half of the relationship with God. In order to experience the blessings that God promised for the people, they need to in turn care for those on the margins, care for widows and orphans and immigrants and those folks who um, have been put into the care of these people uh, with power in God's kingdom. And we see those kings become, rather than becoming more faithful, they become more and more and more unfaithful and they pursue their own power on a more frequent and more insidious rate. And so then the prophets start to promise a level of destruction that will come through those neighboring nations uh, that they had aligned themselves with. And so we get to Jeremiah who predicts the Babylonian army coming into Jerusalem, destroying everything and sending the people of God into exile. And that is exactly what happens. The people of God are sent out back into the wilderness for a new season of repentance, transformation, and potentially renewal of covenant. But what's really beautiful about this middle section in Jeremiah, really like Jeremiah 29 uh, through 33-ish, we see Jeremiah, some of his poetry, um, some of his prose, we see him issue words of comfort. It's actually in scripture, it's actually referred to as the scroll of comfort. But Jeremiah, speaking to these people going into exile, issues a promise that a new covenant is coming. God acknowledges that humanity is 
absolutely incapable of following all of the written law consistently all of the time because it requires too much. There's too much interpretation. There's too much potential for human, um, human error to sort of slip in and become perverted by our sense of right and wrong. And so what God promises a new, is a new covenant to be written on the hearts of the faithful where there won't necessarily be a need for written law because instead we will instinctively care for those on the margins, instinctively pursue God above all things, instinctively celebrate Sabbath, instinctively care for our neighbors, and instinctively even experience some sense of love for our enemies, even if we might have to hold them at a distance. And so God speaks earnestly into this moment of pain, of grief, of exile, a profound hope that there will be a day when justice, compassion, mercy are instinctive habits within the people of God. It's simply something that is embodied because of God's presence living within the people. And that, y'all, is the hope that we long for as well. And so we, as people of faith, are called to put our hope and our trust in God. Learning to align our hearts and our minds around the well-being of the people who are most vulnerable. Trusting that God has provided enough in our own lives and in our collective lives so that there will always be enough for all people to thrive. That foundationally is what it means to be a people of faith. To trust in the belovedness of each one of our neighbors and acknowledge on a regular basis our propensity to miss the mark intentionally or otherwise. If we can hold those two things in tension, we'll begin to grow together. When we can speak honestly, when words and actions hurt us, and we can hear that without judgment. Both of those things are so essential to our well-being collectively. And essentially within all of that is a trust that God will carry us through each one of those difficult moments into an abundance that none of us could ever expect. Because that's just the way God works. We are coming out of a wilderness experience. In many ways, we have been exiled from one another. And so we have an opportunity to step back into our covenantal relationship intentionally, caring for one another, celebrating one another, speaking honestly with one another, so that all of us might experience transformation. And so I invite you to be a part of that project with me. As we begin to have more worship services in person and opportunities for small group and opportunities for us to get to know our neighbors again in a better way, I pray that you do that intentionally celebrating the belovedness of each person you interact with and acknowledging our own propensity to miss the mark.
together with those two things, the world will be transformed. Let us live into new covenant together. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.